0: Hope Church. His word. So we pray we would uh, do that this morning in spirit and in truth. Uh, Let's go to Lord in prayer. And then this morning we're going to look at the book of Jonah um, in the Old Testament. And so learn some things from it this morning. We pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your, your presence, God in this place among us. We thank you that um, where your people are gathered in your name, you are there. Um, And so, Lord, we pray that we would seek your presence this morning, collectively, individually. Lord, we pray that you would have your way um, in our hearts this morning, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted that you would straighten out our minds and hearts where it's needed, Lord. Help our eyes to be on you, dear Jesus, the one who went to the cross for us, who paid the price for our sins, and who is risen, and who is the victorious King who will return. Uh, Jesus, we praise your holy name this morning. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right, the book of Jonah. Um, We'll just begin with the first three verses um, and go from there. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going To Tarshish, so we paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now let's just talk about a couple things there, so we're all on the same page um, as far as the scene goes. It begins with the Lord, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. Um, Though the book is largely about Jonah's experience here, really the key character in the story is God Himself. And if we are seeing the scripture correctly, God is always the key character in every story. If we see our lives correctly, God is the key character in the story of your life. And when you are in right relationship with him and living according to his ways, you are on the same page with him as he's writing that story in your life. And when you go astray, things have to be corrected in order to get back onto his page. But God is central. You know, and this is the conflict with the human heart and our human flesh, is, and why humility is required in order to come to know God and to be in relationship with him, is because our flesh wants to write its own story and to be the, the key central figure. But what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He must increase and I must decrease. And that has to be our attitude as well, that Jesus is the center. He is the focus of the story of my life. And he's told to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So, Nineveh um, is the capital of Assyria. Um, The Assyrians were, were... a rough and tumble um, sort of people, um, they conquered um, other nations they would actually be used by God um, to judge Israel for israel's you know wickedness, but they would but they were also still responsible for their own wickedness and would be judged by God for their wickedness and and exceeding was their wickedness. it says the wickedness has come up before the Lord and that's a powerful and important verse for us, even today because we need you know God is not. Um distant, God is aware of the wickedness that is in our world. God is paying attention. He sees these things um, that are going all around the world around us. And so because sometimes we, you know, we see the news and we can ask that question: God, where are you? Well, God is present and it is not beyond his notice. It is coming up before him. And we know that he ultimately will take care of things. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now Tarshish is basically our understanding, you know, modern-day Spain. And um, you know he's so. You know Jonah uh, is in a port city in the Mediterranean, you know, sea, and he's like, how far? How far away, like what's the furthest port, what's the fastest I can get there. You know, I can go a lot faster in a ship than I can, you know, walking. I'm going to get on a ship and I'm going to, the winds are going to carry me. And I'm going to go as far away from this thing that God has asked me to do as I possibly can. So he says he went down to job boarded the ship, he paid the fare. You know, he paid the fare, went out into the ship and to go with them to charge from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah isn't thinking in his right mind. Now, normally, that's true when people are sinning. When, pe- when you're sinning, you're not in your right mind. You're not thinking clearly. That's, um, you know, most criminals get caught because they do the, the most foolish of things. Right? Because they're not when sin blinds and, and creates a fog and, and people think that they're being so smart and you know, <laughs> don't, well, I'll never be caught, and they're making the most foolish of mistakes all along the way that you could clearly see it from an outside perspective. Why? Because you can see it clearly. But the person in the moment that's blinded by their sin, he, you know, Jonah is not thinking rationally. If you had sat down before Jonah, with Jonah before he ran and, and said, Is there any place God isn't? Jonah would give you the correct theological answer. Is there any place where you could run from God and not be found? I think Jonah would be able to give you the correct theological answer. But in the moment, in operating in his flesh, he goes contrary to what is rational, to what he knows to be true. And he gets on the boat to flee. Now we need to understand the reason that he flees is because he has a personal um, nationalistic hatred for the Assyrians, for the Ninevites. He doesn't want them to, you know, repent. He doesn't want them to know God. And so he doesn't want to have anything to do with this mission. And that's clear throughout the text. But let's continue on in reading verses 4 through 9. It says, But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest part of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God, perhaps God will answer us, so that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah, and they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is the trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Powerful scene that we need to talk about a little bit. So, obviously, you have the, the great storm. The ship is about to be broken up. They're, these sailors are experience, you know, they're experienced sailors. And yet, you know, so for a sailor to be afraid, you know it's a bad situation, right? So, like, if you're a passenger on an airplane and you experience some turbulence, right, and, you know, you might be a little bit afraid because you're not used to it, you know, so much as a passenger who doesn't fly very often. Now, if there was a pilot sitting next to you, and the pilot starts to freak out. And the pilot's like, oh, stink, we're in big trouble. Now you know, hey, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Okay, so these guys, you know, so what do you do in this situation? Well, people do what they do. You know, they, they say, well, what can, what can we as humans do to try to help us in this situation? Well, we can throw, throw overboard any weight, anything that's not of absolute necessity on this ship has got to go. Has got to go. And, hey, everybody cry out to your God. We've got a lot of different people here. A lot of different gods. Maybe one of them will hear us. Maybe one of them is real. That's a, Captain goes down is like, hey, these gods aren't working. There's a dude down asleep down there. Maybe he has a different God. Maybe his God will, he, will hear and answer and help us in this situation. Go wake up. Jordan, what you doing sleeping? Call on your God. Maybe your God will help us. So that's the thing with polytheism. It's just like you need a different God for, you know, you need, hey, hey um, apparently your gods are like land gods. Maybe somebody has a sea god. Maybe a sea god will hear us. You know, whatever the situation is. And so you end up with all these different gods for all these different things. But Jonah's asleep, and he's probably asleep. I think he's asleep because he's depressed. He he's, feels that he has failed because he has. He, he's depressed because he, he knows he has run from God because he has. And, I mean, it's natural that he would be depressed and, and kind of um, just given over to, a, like, whatever happens happens and it wouldn't be such a bad thing to go down with his ship and die. You see, he's, he's down in the bottom of the ship... If the ship sinks, he has no hope of getting out. You know, the guys up top are gonna try to grab a hold of something. You're gonna try to grab a hold of some wood or whatever and, and be on the and and maybe can ride this thing out, maybe get tossed up onto on the dry land, onto an island or something. But but Jonah, he's like he's kind of resigned. Hey man, if this thing goes down, it's his it's his coffin. He's going down with it. That's a pretty low spot to be in. He's in a pretty low spot, but he comes up, and then they cast, you know, lots, which, um, you know, I, I think it's obviously we see God use this throughout the Scripture, even the New Testament. Lots are cast in, at the direction of the Lord, and you know, He decides. He uses that to show the people what He's, you know, decided. Um, I don't know that. Casting of lots is like a great way to decide things, like in general, you know, life. Um, And if you're like me when it comes to um, games, where it's like you know, roll the dice and see what what happens, and you 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 don't want that to like decide the outcome of your life because you normally know you lose in those those situations, right? But um, you know, in this case, the Lord uses the Lord uses this to point out. Jonah as the one responsible. A lot fell on Jonah. They said to him they wanted to know what his occupation was, what he had done to cause this, where he's from, what his people are. And he says, I'm a Hebrew. And this is really interesting because he doesn't go into all of answering their questions, at least as he writes the text here. He gives them th- this key information I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, it's interesting, because he obviously wasn't fearing the Lord in the proper way in order just to be obedient to what God said. But, he understands, I mean, he's, it's a wake-up call, you know, for him, and he understands the situation he is in, and the truth of it is. And at the heart of Jonah, because we know from other texts in the Scripture that that Jonah was a prophet and was used by God, um, we know that that Jonah you know, um, isn't thinking clearly here, but he does have a heart for the things of God, for God and, and His ways. Because he says, you know, he says, "I fear the Lord," and you know, Proverbs begins one of the first verses in Proverbs. It says, "The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom," and people have a, a hard time, you know, with this, with that. Phrase or the idea, you know, people fearing God. It's about perspective and about proper perspective. That it's, you know, it's a proper perspective of God is great, and I am small. Okay, it's understanding your place, um, you know, in 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 creation. Um, that God is great. That that we are small. it's a it's a healthy respect you know of the situation um and and, and it's a normal i think it's a it's a normal thing and now we also know when a person is humble like the shepherds in the field when Jesus came you know and they are exceedingly afraid and they're told you know fear not the natural human reaction around the power and holiness of God is fear but, you know, when, we have our, when we're in our proper place, the Lord lifts us up and says, you know, fear not. And his, his love and his, his grace, you know, toward us. The ones who need to maintain a constant fear that should be afraid often aren't. And those are the wicked. The wicked should be constantly afraid of God. And that he will come back and judge them before they repent and turn from their ways. That it would be too late for them to turn. Like, that would be a normal thing. Um, but it's not, which is really weird. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't know, a person, you know, hopping into a, a, a river with tons of crocodiles and, and hippos and their heart rate not going up. Be are like, well, well, what's wrong with you? You know, like, fear there is a good natural reaction to get yourself out of that situation. You know, but when people don't fear God, they just continue in their wickedness and in their sin as if nothing's as if there were no repercussions for that. Well, we would say that's not a normal, healthy reaction. Verse 10, it says, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, Why have you done this? For the men knew he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. We see that he gives them further information. He's like, this is happening because of me, because I ran from God. And they're like, why would you do this? Why you, don't you bring us into this? You know I mean? Like again it could be like one thing if you like ran across the desert on your own. but, but you involved all of us in this. You know, and, and really, that's another great lesson about sin. You know, people, say, "Oh, you know, I'm going to make my choices, and it's only going to please." You know, sin, and especially the more grievous the sin, the more impact it has on other people. And, and pulls their lives down, you know, as well. What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? It's a logical you know, question. For the sea was growing more tempestuous or more violent. And he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that the great tempest is because of me. So here we have, you know, Jonah has a bit of a heart here. He's not just trying to save himself. Um, But notice this in verse 13. and 7 Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a, sa- a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. That's one of the coolest scenes. love that. I love this. You just play this out in your mind what this looks like. Because you know, Jonah tells them, hey, throw me in the water. Throw me in the, <laughs> throw me in the Mediterranean. Throw me in the sea. Things are going to be... It will be calm for you. Now... I think there's a lot of people on this, that have lived on this planet that would be like, all right, and one, two, three, and there you go. You know, like, right away, that's what you asked for. I mean, he told us to do it. I mean, here we go. Like, I, think, I mean, there are countless humans who have walked on the face of this planet who would have had that approach, and, you know, you'd have a hard time blaming them, given the information that they had. But these men try not to do that. They try to row hard to get back to land. These, and these men, up until this point, do not know the true and living God. They worship false gods. And yet they do something here that is extremely honorable. And up until this point, I think the reality is, that they are acting in a way that is more honorable than Jonah. Up to this point in the scene, they're acting in a way that's more honorable than Jonah is more along the lines of what God expects from his people than Jonah is. And there's a great lesson in this here for because in this for us, because you know, that's one of the saddest things in a situation when an unbeliever Is acting more honorable or more noble than a believer. You know, sometimes we see that in situations and and we see that play out and we see how, you know, what bad of a testimony that is. But there's a reality that we need to understand in this. When a person comes to believe in Jesus, you know, they're forgiven, it doesn't mean that they're a mature follower of God. Okay? That that, I'm going to an application here for us. Okay, so, so you know, when a person becomes a believer, it doesn't mean they immediately start acting properly in every situation and in every conflict and every you know situation of pressure that they're in. But it does mean the expectations have changed. Like God expects new things from His new creations. He expects our perspective to change and our attitude to change and our our way of life to change. So then we have to do, we have to allow and do the hard work. We have to allow God to do the hard work within us and do the hard work of being a disciple, of growing as a disciple, of maturing in our faith so that we, as the scripture says, walk worthy. Walk worthy is what the scripture says. Walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. And at this point in the scene, Jonah, though he does do the one honorable thing here of throw me in the water, right? He's not like running, like trying, you know, grabbing a hold of a, you know, part of the boat down at the bottom and saying, "You're not getting me out of here." You know, I mean, he he to this point is not acting more honorably. He, is not acting in a, he has not acted in an honorable way before God and before these people. But God is still at work. He's at work in the lives of these men who are the sailors of this ship. He's at work in their lives. Because that it says they cry out to him, and maybe at this point, you know, the God is just one of another God, you know, one of many gods. You know, it's like, well, Jonah is saying this. You know, he claims this is the only God, you know, in terms of the, the, how it's phrased and everything, but I'm just going to, uh, you know, we'll pray to this God and see what happens. And they, when they pick Jonah up and throw him into the sea, and the sea ceases from its raging, God has given his testimony that you know, Yahweh is the true and living God. And it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. It's amazing that despite Jonah's um, sad testimony in this situation... His sad testimony in the situation that the Lord still worked to reach these people, and it seems like it's a people from different places, you know, used to their own God, you know, sort of thing. It's there, there's a going to be a testimony, and you just wonder how those men were um, impacted long term, and their families, and you know, people from their friends people from areas they lived in, as they went back, you know they went back and told that story. You're like, you will not believe what happened. I'm sure they probably had to even explain that account to uh, some of the men whose cargo they had to throw overboard. You know, that, and that stuff was going somewhere, right? And somebody was expecting to receive a shipment on the other side. We don't have your stuff. There was a storm, but you wouldn't believe what happened. That's one of those I I hope to get to ask on the other side. So tell me more about these men. Are they here? What's their story? Who else was impacted by that? So it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, and I know sometimes people have a problem with, okay, so there's this fish that follows this man. He's in the belly. for. I mean, do you really believe this? I mean, come on. You know, sort of thing. Well, when Jesus talks about it, he doesn't talk about it like um, it was some fantasy or some just allegory um, of a story. And I'm going to believe the one who Died on the cross and rose from the dead, you know once you've risen from the dead <laughs> like I, you know i mean I mean and again the fact that i mean is that is that any more unlikely than the fact that you exist today i mean you start, when you really think about it, is that more unlikely that that you are here as a human being and I mean th- talking about Origins and how you got here, and you know, there's there's lots of stuff um, in the in the scriptures that admittedly can only be explained by by God. And we don't believe in God. Like I mean, none of this book makes much sense except for some moral teachings that then have absolutely no foundation if there's not a real God. So what's the point of that either? You know. So but if you have a, a real all powerful, all knowing God. Who made the rules and can break the rules then you know things are, are possible now, as opposed to a lot of other literature, the scripture is also grounded in history and in archa archeolo- you know we have archaeological evidence more and more and more um, as the years go by that that take things that people view, ah, please, as, whoa, okay, looks like that actually happened. Um, And so because of that as well, we're able to take the parts that are harder to believe and go, well, the scripture is right about all this other stuff. I'm going to trust the scripture is right about that too. You know, what is a great... Difficulty for man, for humans, is nothing for God. A man can, or woman, can speak nothing into existence. God speaks the universe into existence. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. And then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now maybe Jonah needed to be in the fish for that length of time in order to come to the end of himself fully, 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 and just acknowledge who God is and who he is. Man, I hope we're not that stubborn in our lives. You know, maybe you had to be there three days because the Lord was going to use that as the illustration of that he was going to be in the the tomb and rise from the dead. You know, I don't know, but I just would say this. In our lives, I hope that if you ever find yourself in the belly of a fish, (laughs) that your repentance is pretty much instantaneous. (laughs) I'm just, I would hope, you know. I mean, but some of us are more stubborn than others. And for some of us, you probably look back in your life and go, Yeah, it's about the same as my heart and and what I've done um, in the past and and it takes me a while to wake up sometimes. Awake, oh sleeper, man. Verse 8 though, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. That's a powerful verse. Because what is the mercy? The mercy is the true and living God. Um, you know, in, in our, as the full story is known to us, you know, the mercy is, is Jesus on the cross in our place. And those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And so maybe that's something you can use uh, when you're talking to somebody who's. You know, worshiping false gods, worship you know, has idols in the, in their home, and pull out Jonah two eight. <laughs> Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Explain who that mercy really is. And so we have this coming back to reality of Jonah, but as we're going to see in the story, is his not his heart's not still not fully formed or. Um, as it should be before the Lord. But in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now that's the second time he's received the command. And this time it says, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, Nineveh was a, a huge and great city. There's been some controversy over what it means, a three-day journey in extent. It you know, probably means along the lines of it would take three days to, to, for him to go around and to give you know, this message you know, that he needs you know, to give. Um, it, it's not like saying somebody is power-walking through the city. Um, for three straight days to get from one side to the other. I don't think that's the picture that is is intended to give, but it was a a a great city. Um, it was a walled city. Um, I'm trying the the number just went in my head. The the thickness of the walls is either fifty or a hundred feet, and the other one is the height. But it's um, it's a tremendous, um, fortified you know city, and you know God is asking. God asks us to do some things sometimes that are that are a little bit wild because the reality is it's there's wicked people in this city with weapons. <laughs> you know? And it's like, by yourself, Jonah. You know, walk into the city of Nineveh and say, yep, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I mean, Wow. Wow. But verse 5, So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. The word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? now that's a that 's revival <laughs> that's that's a revival they put i mean the sackcloth it's an un, i mean what they did in 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 these days and we see that the Hebrews did this and, and obviously it's something that other peoples around them you know did as well when, when you have a time of mourning um It's an intentional discomfort. So they're not wearing their nice, normal, comfortable clothes. They put on this sackcloth, which is like itchy and uncomfortable. And then they put on ashes. And they don't eat or drink. So they're causing themselves to be in physical misery. In order to show their their humbleness, their repentance, their desire to avoid judgment. I mean, how awesome would... I mean, it would be kind of like... It would be different. Let's just say that. It would be different. But, but imagine if like, the city of Athens... Like you look around and people are in their yards, like wearing sackcloth and ashes over the head, and kneel down and praying, and people, you know, all over downtown in the streets, you know, do the same and crying out, Have mercy on us, O oh God. If the people of this city really saw the power, knew the power and holiness of God. That would probably be the reaction. Something similar to it anyway, maybe for our context. Verse 10, God told their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. And we see this throughout the scriptures that God's call for judgment is also in, it's like a, in certain situations it's like a final opportunity to repent. But even when Jesus speaks harshly to the Pharisees, it's an opportunity for them to repent, for them to acknowledge that what He is saying is true. And this is the whole thing about you know here at Nineveh, the people. In order to avoid judgment, they have to agree with God that they are wicked. They had to agree with God about who they were. There has to be a, an understanding, a realization of the truth about themselves. The same thing is true today for any individual to really come before God. I'm, yeah, and, and this is the problem when we leave out parts of the gospel story. You know, when we just start with "God loves you and you can have a great life in him," you know, just trust Jesus." There's a problem because we haven't set it, we haven't set it up properly with "God is holy and awesome. You and I are sinful. We don't deserve to be in His presence. We deserve His judgment like when we leave that out, I'm not sure we're preaching the gospel anymore. Because we haven't established the true need. And if the new, true need isn't understood and accepted, then I think what a lot of times we end up doing is we're, we ask people, it's like, a, it's like a self-help sort of thing with, with Jesus sprinkled in. And that's not what people need. That doesn't actually make a new creation. That doesn't actually make a a disciple. That doesn't make a believer. That just makes somebody who's interested in being the best version of themselves that they can be. We've spiritualized the worldliness. We've spiritualized the humanism. We've spiritualized the idea that you are great, but you could actually be even better if you've got a little God sprinkled in on there. And that's a problem. I just think there's a huge difference. And of course the Lord knows the heart and whether the heart is bowed. But when I, if I'm in a situation and, I, and somebody is coming to the Lord and they get on their knees and they cry over their sin and they're broken and they beg God, save me. I have pretty good confidence about how that's going to play out long term. But when a person said, hey, you want to add Jesus into your life and be a little bit, you know, just say this, you know, prayer, and the person's just like, Yeah, that sounds good. I like that. And they repeat a prayer and go on with their life. Is that even real? And again, the Lord knows whether the heart is bowed, and that's not. Place well, to judge, but the scripture also says, you know, you'll know them by their fruits. And so we need to be sure as we're sharing the gospel with people that we present it in a such a way that in order to be accepted, the heart has to bow before God. Say, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. In the Lord, we see His grace and compassion. And then, we'll just run through this last part quickly here, the ten verses of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents from doing harm. And therefore now, O Lord, please take my life for me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Man, it's so sad to read that. It's so sad to read, read that because Jonah is, is so caught up in the judgment For Nineveh's wickedness in the past and his fear of what the Assyrians may do to his people in the future, that he misses out on the grace of God in the present. And again, we go back to those men on the boat, and they had more kindness to the stranger. Than Jonah had as a prophet of God. And so, I mean, Jonah is so far gone in this thought process at this point in his life, and we believe it changes, but he says, Please take my life from me. Like, I'd rather be dead than to see the Ninevites be forgiven by you. I mean, wow. Wow, he's got some deep-seated stuff going on in there in his heart. But, you know, it begs a question in each of us, if you have people who've done you wrong in your life, and if you think about them repenting and coming to forgiveness, does it make you joyful or angry? It begs a question. No, listen to verse 5. Before the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. He says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. He made himself a shelter and sat under his shade so he might see what would become of the city. You know, he's kind of there like, just maybe. Just maybe these people are going to go back to their wickedness or like forget what they, you know, and and God's going to judge them and I'm going to get to sit up here on this hill and I'm going to get to watch it. I mean, mercy. Mercy. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Consistent theme in Jonah's life at this point. He's in the boat, bottom of the boat, better to die than to live. After the, you know, twice here, better to die than to live. Like he's the original like better off dead. Um, dude from, if you remember the 80s movie. But okay, anywho. Um, He's easier way before that. In a much more serious way. Um, And verse 9, God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it's right for me to be angry, even to death. Right to be angry. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who could not discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? It's like, Joni, you're so upset about this little plant that came up and died. And there's probably a lot more, I, I, I believe, my take on it is that there's a lot more than 120,000 people in the city, um, but these are particularly even, you know, like children. Um, he's like, you know, God's like, shouldn't I care for, for them? I mean, even the animals, you know, it, it, one of the things that's really interesting throughout the scriptures is you see um, a call to respect for the creation that God has made. Yes, God made it for our, our, our purposes and to, to be a blessing to us and to sustain us. But it's not something to be treated frivolously or just to abuse or to kill for the sake of killing. Um, that's, that's not how we see it in the scriptures. We see a care for the creation that God has entrusted us, us with. And that's part of the story here too because God knows when his judgment comes it doesn't just come on the humans that are on the scene that have done wickedness it's also on it affects those who have not yet committed such great wickedness and it affects even the the other parts of his creation and we see what happens in a land when you know one you know one nation or one people group comes in and goes to wipe out another people group and you know the devastation that occurs to to human, to to animal, to land, to everything. And it's not God's... I think we see in the book of Jonah um, a lesson about God's heart and about what God's preferences are. He'd always prefer repentance. God would always prefer to give mercy than he would to give judgment. Now, yet his holiness demands judgment and so in the story of love we can't forget that even later Nineveh actually is destroyed because future generations forget about the great mercy of God you know and that's, that happens you know we see in the past great revivals in different lands around the world and then a few generations later the people have forgotten God and, and live in exceeding wickedness. But there's hope here. There's hope here because... You know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a a, a, a nation today. Like, you know, you say, well, it was so much worse than Nineveh was in the time of Jonah. And yet they repented and came to the Lord. You know, so when... You, you think about it in that way it, it's a it's a message of of hope for us to preach the gospel because you don't know who's going to respond with repentance you don 't know who 's going to turn from wickedness and turn to the true and living God, so preach the gospel to everyone because you don't know um, and I think that as you know jonah you know begins the book with god 's word to him. And ends the book with God's word to him. God gets the first word, God gets the last word. You know, I think it's implied, you know, since he, he, he wrote it in obedience to the scripture, that you know, Jonah's understanding and, and his self-repentance and all of that, are, I think, though not stated specifically, I believe they're implied. When it's all said and done. And I think when we see Jonah in heaven, he goes, he's going to tell us, man, I was a hard-headed dude. But here's ultimately what the Lord had taught me. I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't give up on hard-headed people. And I'm thankful that the Lord's mercy is great to those who are wicked. Though the truth be told, sometimes my attitude is like Jonah's was. Lord, wipe them out. Because they're exceedingly wicked. I do think it's okay I mean my prayer is a little hopefully a little more nuanced than that because I say Lord you know who's going to repent and not keep the wicked from doing more wickedness please one way or another may they repent or, or may you judge but keep those who are doing human trafficking and all sorts of matters of wickedness like keep them from doing more wickedness restrain them Lord restrain their hand One way or another. I pray, I think that that's okay to pray, and I pray that the Lord will show me otherwise if that's not okay to pray. But our hope in it has to be for repentance. Our hope in it has to be that the wicked will turn. You know, our preference needs to be the same that God's is. That's the heart of it, right? Isn't that the heart of the book? That our our desire and our preference towards mercy needs to be what God's is. Because what Jonah has done here is set himself up to be the judge, the jury, and if you let him, to be the executioner. God doesn't want that from us. That's not our role. Our role is to proclaim the truth of God and the truth of humans and the truth of the gospel. That's our role. Let God God take care of his role. We take care of our roles. There's a lesson there for us. We need to have the perspective, strive to have the perspective that God does. Because in the early church, the gospel went forward powerfully in wicked places like Corinth and Rome and Ephesus. And the church was able to make a difference in those places. The power of God was at work in those places that were exceedingly wicked. The same will be true today. Today. Our city is wicked. I'm sorry if that offends anybody this morning, <laughs> but our city is full of wickedness. It's full of dysfunction. It's full of hate, greed, gossip, sexual immorality of every kind, violence. And we say, you know, we can say like, well, I mean, come on. We're not as bad as a lot of other cities. I mean, look at this city or look at that city. Well, this is the city we live in. We need to see it rightly. So you can always play the you can play the comparison game out of anything. Not the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. Well, congratulations. <laughs> you know. But God's mercy is available. We want to see God's mercy go forward in our city, in our state, in our country, and throughout this world. And so let's pray that God would give us his heart for the people. Jonah is a cautionary tale for us. And it's not a tale, a constant, I should say, a cautionary history. Don't want anybody get the right idea, wrong idea. I twist my words up this morning, but the Lord knows, and I think you all understand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you for your great goodness to us. We thank you that you are a a merciful God, and a just God, and the true and living God. And Lord, please help us to have our hearts turn to you and to help turn the hearts of the people to you. Lord, we pray that we would be mature so that our testimonies would be strong, that we wouldn't dishonor you. Lord, help us to see ourselves and others and you as we all really are. You might have your perspective and your attitude, God. Help us, we pray. Your love is great. As we see your love displayed, poured out on the cross for us as your son Jesus hung there and suffered and died in our place. And Jesus, as we take that bread and that cup this morning, we give you thanks, the ultimate display of your love and mercy and grace. May we partake of it this morning with thankful hearts. In your name, Jesus, we ask it.